Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and David Jones. Howdy, everyone. I'm Bob Flounders. Dave Jones is joining me. It is a very nice Tuesday blue-white breakdown podcast. I am telling you, it is spectacular. I don't even know where Kaiser is. He ran off. (laughs) Can we just do like a 10-minute podcast and get this over with so we can get out? You know, I'm like like Charles Barkley. Ernie, Ernie, I'm staying here till 1. Just such a beautiful day. It was a great sports weekend, but let's start with a little Penn State stuff. We'll get into the NBA a little bit later. I know you have some Kentucky Derby thoughts. Let's talk some Penn State football, something we meant to get to last week. I find it fascinating. I know the Penn State fan base is not happy about this, and I'm sure if you ask James Franklin about it, he'd have an answer for it. But Oh, the Will Levis thing. Will Levis, the ex-Penn State quarterback who transferred out of Penn State after the 2020 season. Uh, I think it was pretty clear to Sean uh, to uh, Will that Sean Clifford was James Franklin's guy, and there, he didn't feel like there was anything he could do about it. And he transferred to Kentucky. The job was not handed to him, Dave. Uh, he had to beat out a couple of guys to get the job, but he did it quickly. He had a very good year playing in the SEC for Kentucky. They won ten games for the fourth time in program history. I think he ran for. Uh, nine touchdowns, three for 24, completed about 60% of his passes. Under under that notable quarterback guru, Mark Stoops. <laughs> so, but the, the, the punchline is that, you know, we're only a couple weeks out. We're not even two weeks out from the draft. And he is, everyone is, everyone, all the pundits are in love with Will Levis in the first round. There was a ridiculous CBS Sports Mock draft, I think that ran yesterday that had it going number one overall, which just stop right there. This, this, the mock draft thing and <laughs> the, the infatuation, but there has, we haven't even had a season yet. Who the hell knows what's going to happen in the following draft when we haven't had the college football season yet? <laughs> I mean, he, he could, he could get a separated shoulder. Anything could happen to him. B, the, 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 propensity for these mock draft geeks to overrate big rocket arm quarterbacks that has gone on forever forever what usually happens to them bob i'll let you answer that question i mean all all the way back to ryan leaf how about christian hackenberg after the 2014 and he was number one on everyone's list too um, it's just, it is just, uh, you know, it is, it is nothing more than fluff uh, and, and a, an easy read, but they just don't, you just don't know. Did anyone really think Kenny Pickett was going to have the year he did at this time last year? No. Am I wrong or did Will Levis get a decent shot here at Penn State? Uh, you are wrong. I think, I don't think he did. I think he did. I remember the, I remember the Michigan game in Ann Arbor, okay? He basically split time with Clifford. All during the 20, 
2020 season, did he not? I mean, he had a he had a lot of shots. No, and I don't know what Michigan game you're referencing because I think you're wrong. Well, he got plenty of time. He got plenty of time. He was in 2020 when they won at Michigan. He was their designated third down rushing back. He he Clifford took all the all the steps. So I'm actually getting that mixed up with Clifford himself when he he subbed in for Trace McSorley. I'm sorry. That was Tommy Stevens. They're Tommy Stevens, right? So anyway, Will Levis got plenty of time. You will agree with that in 2020, right? I do not. Okay, so you don't think he had a great shot? No, no. Sean Clifford was so bad at Nebraska, they put uh, Levis in, and he he almost rallied them. He had almost three yard, 300 yards of total offense. He did start against Iowa the next week, and he was bad in the first half. They pulled the plug on him to start the third quarter. But I just don't know that two quarters against Nebraska and two quarters against Iowa are enough for me to say he got a fair shake against you know, because I just don't think Sean played that well in 2020 from start to finish. I do give Will a lot of credit for seeing the writing on the wall and knowing his football coach and how he likes to pick his quarterbacks. He was smart. I just think this is revisionist history that 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 there was a clear choice between Will Levis and Sean Clifford at the end of the 2020 season. I, I don't I, think there was, but I think that, I just think that I think Will felt like. He was gonna ha- he was gonna have to do something ridiculous to 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 uh, take the job from Sean Clifford. Let's put it this way, Dave. I think it should have been an open competition going into twenty twenty one spring, and I don't think James is gonna do that. Okay, that I'll grant you. That'll grant you. That'll grant you. I did see a little bit of Will uh, last year, not a lot because I mean they were playing at the same time Penn State was, but you know he kind of held his own against the Georgia defense. He's a big kid, um, and I, I just think that uh, he made the right decision. And I just wonder, you know, when you look at the, at this draft, who knows? Maybe Sean Clifford and and Will Levis will reverse, and Sean Clifford will get drafted higher than than Will. But I, I don't I don't think so. I think that you could make a case that Will Levis was a heck of a quarterback option that maybe was never seriously considered at Penn State. That's what I think. If you, it's okay to disagree, but I just think his his year at his year at Kentucky really really was impressive. Yeah, but this, yeah, yeah, that's, that's this is a different level. Correct. This is a different level. Number number one on a mock draft. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, I think the 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 Ohio State quarterback. They were saying Dave at the Ohio State pro day this year. Where they had they had those two receivers just like running around, you know, gallop. They're both you know first round picks. They said the best player on the field was the quarterback who was throwing them the passes, and he was he wasn't even eligible for the draft. Yeah, C.J. Stroud. And in that offense this year, whoo, uh, with those with Harrison and he, they're gonna they're gonna do whatever they want on offense this year. And we don't even know if um, who, who's the kid from uh, Williamsport. I can't think of his name. Oh, Julian Fleming. Julian Fleming, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's going to struggle to get on the field again, I think, Dave. How about that? Maybe he's a transfer opportunity. Maybe he's a portal <laughs> opportunity. Who knows? Hey, Dave, one more, one more Ohio State bit of news because it's just fascinating. We always talk about them getting five-star quarterbacks. They got another one uh, for, I think, the 2024 class. It's still a couple years away, but it's <laughs> it's Dylan Rayola. So, I I grew up a Nebraska fan. His dad, Dominic, was a tremendous center at Penn State. Not long, I think, after he might have even played. He might have played with Scott Frost, who's the Nebraska coach. You you said Penn State. You meant you meant Nebraska. 
I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I meant Nebraska. Man had a huge career in the NFL, long career in the NFL, as I remember. Yeah, with with the Lions, like, he knows Scott Frost well. His uh, brother, Dominic's brother, Donovan, is the offensive line coach at Nebraska. And having said all that, Dylan Rayola picked Ohio State, and he's a five-star, 6'3", 220. Um, he's like their fifth or sixth five-star in the last decade to go to that school. It's unbelievable. And, and this is not a wide receiver, mind you, you know, a, a position where you wouldn't expect maybe a, uh, a you, you know, they've had Wandale Robinson. They've had some, some decent wide receivers, but this is not a position that, that Nebraska has a deficiency that, that, that Nebraska can't attract guys to. This is, this is their kind of guy and they still couldn't, they still couldn't sign him. Yeah, and you know we're not even we're not we're not even we're forgetting about that Ohio State had that Quinn Ewers guy on campus for like ten months, and now he's probably going to start at Texas. A lot of people thought he was as good or better than Stroud, but that obviously has not proven to be the case. But Ryan Day just—it's like a shopping list for him in the off season, whether it's via the transfer portal or just just on the recruiting trail. If they really want a guy, they're going to get him. That's right. They've created the preeminent brand in the Big Ten. And you can talk about whatever you like as far as uh, other teams, Michigan and Penn State. Uh, you know, you know, Nebraska was supposed to be of this echelon. They were supposed to be this sort of school in the Great Plains to represent the Big Ten because ostensibly they didn't have anybody like that out there. And they've been absolutely AWOL. And the footprint of recruiting has continued to shift east, which brings me to the question is, are, are we seeing the end of the divisional setup sooner than later in this in this conference? Because I just think it's an untenable recruiting situation. You know, uh, Brett Ciancia from Pick 6 Previews and I went through recruiting uh, and followed it through to the NFL. And Iowa and Wisconsin have done a fabulous job in maximizing the level of talent they're recruiting, which is not great. It has not been great. Uh, Nebraska hasn't even done its part. Nebraska's actually recruited, if you look at the 24-7 sports rankings, at, at a better level than either Iowa or Wisconsin, and their results have been much worse. So this is the Western Division. You've, you've got Purdue overachieving. You've got Minnesota overachieving for what they had to recruit out there. I just wonder if the the whole divisional uh, setup is passe, and they're, we're just going to have to throw all fourteen teams together and uh, and figure it out in a different way. Especially considering the college football playoff will probably add an extra week, and you're going to have to subtract an extra week from the regular season, which would be the playoff playoff week. I just see an end to the big the Big Ten divisional setup in general. It might be it might be time. You're right. It just doesn't just to see this thing play out year after year after year. It's so rare when there's a competitive game anymore uh, at the championship level. And what, what good does that, it, what, what good does that do? Well, think of it. Every team in that division that's done well, especially that has won the division has overachieved like crazy relative to the recruiting, to the recruiting personnel. Northwestern has had five NFL draft choices in the last, I guess it was, 10 years, 10 years. Yeah, five, five. Well, Penn State has had 31. Uh, Ohio State has had 42. I can't remember the number of years it was that we did. I guess it was it was five years. It was five years. It was five, yeah. Five, yeah, right. yeah. 
and North Northwestern. They're doing this with they've won two divisional titles <laughs> with this. That is overachievement. And if anything, the, the the rest of the schools underachieved. A lot of the ones in the Eastern Division, especially Maryland and Penn State, uh, that was kind of the, the point of the whole thing. I see us in the near future mixing them all up, and we'll probably have a lot more trips out west than we used to. Hey, Dave, uh, before we switch gears, just to, I know it's not a big deal probably, but do you have any reaction at all to Penn State adding a home-and-home home with Syracuse down the road? No, I don't. <laughs> I can't believe the publicity that that got. No one likes going there. It's a horrible trip. It's a horrible stadium. It's a it's a horrible city. You know what they? Well, it is. I, the the funniest line I ever heard on Syracuse is that it's Wilkesbury with a dome. Oh, now you're taking a shot at Wilkesbury. <laughs> it's just it's nobody wants to go to Syracuse. Why, why would anyone get excited about a Syracuse? That 08 game that was in September, it was like about 91 degrees inside inside the Carrier Dome. Joe Hermit almost melted on the field. Which is which is and what kind of company is Carrier? <laughs> yeah, An air conditioning company, and they didn't have any. Yeah, yeah, they do now. They do it not. was not great. No, no. It's a smelly dump. You know, at one point, had they pursued a Northeastern conference, it could have been a pretty interesting conference if uh, – you remember a couple of years ago I did uh, a, a story on what would happen if we threw all of the Power Five college football teams, all 65 into, an, into a hopper, and just redid them based on geography. Uh, what I came up with in the Northeast was pretty interesting. And I, I don't know that it would be a compelling conference on a national scale as far as TV viewership or any of that. But you would have all those old Penn State partners together and people would be to dr- able to drive to every single game. I think I ended up with Virginia Tech and Virginia in there with Maryland, West Virginia, Pittsburgh, Syracuse, Rutgers. Uh, Boston College. Who am I missing there? I, I, I might have I might have included somebody from outside the Power Five, like Connecticut, simply to round it out. Temple, maybe, uh, but it would have been a fairly uh, compelling league where you could imagine it, it would, everyone driving around the Northeast going to games. <laughs> but that that time is past. Does anyone is anyone going to be itching to see that Penn State Syracuse game? No. Put Army in there, Dave. Meanwhile, we're going off into the future here, and and the main non-conference opponents for Penn State are Syracuse, Temple, and what do we have? West Virginia? Is that who it is? I can't think. I think that's right. Yeah. You know, yes. is anyone getting cranked up about these games? I don't know. I don't know. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a long-time patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. Dave, I have to take one more. Uh, I just want to one more thing by you. It's not necessarily Penn State related, but 
I was just trying to imagine when the news leaked about the the hit wide receiver Jordan Addison possibly possibly heading to USC. Forget about forget about uh, the the rest of it. But when Pat Narduzzi got wind of it and he apparently had an angry angry phone call with Lincoln Riley, how mad do you think Narduzzi was, and what do you think that phone call was like? Well, you know, he's a lot like I am. My my son mocks me when I get angry because he knows I'm a paper tiger, you know, that I go crazy and and lose my mind. And in, in no. the end, <laughs> the only one who doesn't know is Kaiser. He thinks I'm serious. <laughs> oh, Anna and Nick know better. And that's Narduzzi. I mean, Narduzzi, he, he's got the mean face and everything. But what's he going to do? There's nothing he can do. Pittsburgh is not a college football destination, and that kid is really good. I, why didn't he? Why didn't he commit to the NFL anyway? That's my question. I don't know. I don't even know what year he is at Pitt. Is he? Is he super young? Maybe I don't know. He maybe it's that because he sure sounds. It sure sounds like he's a hell of a receiver. I just know that there's nothing Pat Narduzzi can do about it. So why howl at the moon? Uh, you're not going to keep the kid. You're only pissing him off more. You're only coming off like a crotchety old man to prospective. Yeah, he's a freshman. That's why. To prospective recruits. So why go through all the histrionics? There was a dead period. Uh, and and at, at the time, I think that maybe there was contact. It could be construed as tampering. What is tampering anymore? This is the, this is the other thing. This is the other thing. The NCAA finally <laughs> just came out with what are they, what they're, you heard about this a couple of days ago, right? Finally, came out with what are they are calling guardrails? Guardrails. The train's off the tracks, baby. Supposedly, boosters are not going to be able to just hand nil deals over without intermediaries from the universities. And a, how in the world is the depleted NCA going to enforce this? <laughs> they they have no enforcement capability at all. I mean. And B, do you think that's is actually going to dissuade anybody in the SEC, anyone in the <laughs> South, anyone, anyone at USC? No. So what we're going to end up with is, is Big Ten schools saying we have to follow the rules. We have to follow the rules here and maybe some ACC schools and maybe some Pac-12 schools following the rules. These are the rules. We have to follow the rules with compliance people crawling all over their coaches. And then you're going to have the outlaw schools being the outlaw schools that they've always been, and they're they're not going to follow any rules because they they know that that's a paper tiger. That there are no rules. You know, he should quit getting mad, Narduzzi, and just get even because there are no rules. Do whatever you have to do nil wise to attract players and money talks, man. If you got if you got a sugar daddy, you got some big industrialist, some guy uh, full of of tech funds in Pittsburgh. Get them on board. That's how you're going to be able to get kids now. And I'm like, so be it. Everyone's talking about how this is going to ruin college football, that the the players are getting paid now. A, they've always been paid. B, now it's just going to be above board. And C, they are the product. They deserve to be paid. Do you know anyone who's not going to watch because I can't have these players being paid? Do you know anybody who's not going to go to a bar in the middle of of October and watch college football because of that? Do you? Do you? I don't. I don't. Yeah. yeah. 
I think people are going to still watch college football, even if they say they're pissed off about players being paid, even if they, they're pissed off about high schoolers making 800000 or a million dollars in their freshman year. I am happy about it. I am delighted about it. And I'm delighted that that money is going into the pockets of some families who might really need it rather than the pockets of athletic directors. That's It's all the same pie. The boosters are just shifting some of their money into this sector, and I'm I'm delighted about it. I have no problem with it whatsoever. And people are going to—I got newsflash for you: people are going to continue watching college football. We need to talk about the Kentucky Derby, don't you? Don't we? A little bit. This is in your this is in your wheelhouse. Where were you when you watched the race? I was in a bar. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but but which you, you it's like you're seven not, o'clock at night? What, do you, what else am I going to do at seven o'clock at night? Where on a were Saturday? you? Which, no, uh, what I I did I do find it fascinating that the whole, uh, hey great story everyone knows the story. Did you <laughs> did you see the Dan Lieber, Lebertard tweet from yesterday? Or it was on his radio show because this uh, this horse was so rambunctious, uh, uh, you know, before the race and after the race, he he like tore the skin. Off the off the the pony he was riding with, he bit so bad he attacked the the ho- the guy that was riding the pony. Yeah, Lebertard was like, "So how much coke did this horse do the day of the Kentucky Derby to be that wound up?" Is the drug report coming out today? I believe as we speak. I think it's, it's Wednesday, maybe. There will be a drug report, but I hope. Let's hope. Let's hope for the best on that. And uh, I just think, what a story! It's serious stuff, and. You would hate to see that that's the reason. Tony Black, the, the, you, we were mentioning the late Tommy Clifton, who died about uh, 10 years ago. Your buddy uh, used to be a Penn National jock. He told me some harrowing stories about what it's like to be on the backs of these 800, 900-pound animals. It's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it's got to be just terrifying. Well, I talked yeah. to a, a buddy of Dick Girardi's who uh, – I needed a jockey to talk to. He's a delightful guy. He's 70 years old now. He's just only just retired named Tony Black. And he kind of blamed the outrider for the, the guy on the pony. See, the, the reason that this was happening is they were setting up an interview. They always do an interview while they're on the horses. The, the network feels compelled to do that. I believe it's NBC now. It used to be ABC where Charles E. Canty or somebody is on the other horse and they talk to the jockey right afterward. Chris Economaki used to do it. (laughs) 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 You you killed me with that because I I just envisioned Chris Economaki on the back of a horse (laughs) with this. (laughs) In a suit. One time he was at a race in Dallas. I think they had a grand, a big Grand Prix race down there for Indy cars, and it was like a hundred degrees on the on the course. And he had black shorts and black socks on, but he was still doing his Mackey thing with his black greasy hair. Uh, the reason they they had the outrider there, and it's a very unusual thing. This horse had won what, like one stakes race ever, maiden winner. That's it. Which is when they bring outriders over for or presentations or something like that. Otherwise, they're not around there. They have no horse around them. So this horse, his name was, um, I'm always thinking Quick Strike. It was Rich Strike. Rich Strike, this 80 to 1 underdog. He's like, what's this, what's this damn horse doing next to me? Get, get away from me. Pat Narduzzi. Pat Narduzzi was a horse. 
So uh, Tony Black blamed the Outrider for for even he he actually blamed um, uh, Sonny Leone, the Venezuelan jockey who is young. He's only like thirty one years old, and he's never been through all this protocol with a big network presentation either. He, he said if he had had more wherewithal and was older, he would have just told the outrider, get out of here. I can calm the horse down. That would have been that because they didn't have the interview anyway because they couldn't calm the horse down. He took a big chunk out of the outrider's quad. Did you see that? Yes. I've got, we <laughs> have an old question about this drug test. Yeah. Well, we have an old, uh, we, we have a, one of our old uh, dog sitters who sat with Kaiser for a little while and she moved to Baltimore. She used to work at Delaware Park as a hot rider and i said does that hurt and she said hell yes it hurts it's it's horrible when horses bite you and they've got jaws like this because she's had it had it happen anyway people who have been around horses know that that's not to be trifled with and you just have to you have to end end the charade there because you're if if a horse is angry like that or jacked up or god knows what uh, you're not going to calm them down with like two or three or four more people. You're, you just have to let the jockey do it because the jockey knows the horse. Uh, yeah, so the, I, the horse is, is scheduled to run in the Preakness. We'll see how that goes. But uh, to go almost last to first uh, like that in a very, very it's, – it's one thing to go last to first in a six-horse field. To go last to first in a 20-horse field uh, against quality animals, I mean, very, very impressive. Um, Tony Black – was really interesting in detailing exactly how this could have happened. First of all, the horse was still 17th inside the three-eighths pole. Did you see that? He was 17th with three-eighths of a mile to go. And he somehow wove through this labyrinth of horses. Did you see the overhead shot, by the way, from NBC? He said that the jock, Sonny Leon, made just a, a bunch of great decisions and he was talking about how I, I I tried to I compared it to being on the 405. You've driven the 405 in Los Angeles when we've gone out there, and it's it's harrowing. Well, I've been in the car with Joe Hermit, and it was very scary. <laughs> Did you really? Okay, all right, right. Well, the 405 is not a normal uh, highway like we have in the East, because in the East there there was no room around to expand highways because the cities were always also always already congested in the West. Back when the 405 was built in the mid-60s, they could build as many lanes as they want, and they just kept adding on. So it is like a six-lane, six lanes of cars going 70 miles an hour at some points in the day. Not often, but if you get caught out there at like 2.30, it is full of cars. Every lane's full, and everyone's going 70, 75 miles an hour, and it's like being in an auto race. And you have to have a laser focus ahead of you. I ran that by Tony Black. I said, this is the best I can imagine because I've done that and it's it's harrowing in the least. And he said, yeah, it's like that, except the, these these horses have accelerators and they have brakes, but they also have one other thing that your car does not, and that's a brain. And they sometimes like to do things that you don't tell them to do. Very interesting to hear, hearing him tell, talk about how, how Sonny Leon must have had a connection with Rich Strike who also, he said, he gave credit to the horse because there are a lot of horses who get spooked. I mean, the reason they have blinders on is so they can't see stuff around them that might make them afraid. Some horses, he said, don't like the rail. He called it the fence. I thought that was interesting. Did you know jockeys call that the fence? 
and everyone else calls it the rail. I think I've heard Nick Horvath call it the fence. <laughs> I talked to him yesterday, and he said other horses, they don't like to pass on the inside. They don't like traffic on the outside to the right of them. Uh, they don't like to be yanked in and out of crevices, and you can understand. I mean, I mean, but this horse, he said, was willing to do whatever Sonny, Sonny Leone told him to do, and he was game for anything, and he was – as Sonny Leon said after the, in the press conference, he was like raring to go for more. Like, whose who's ass can I kick now? You know, what what can I do now? That's an underindication of substance. <laughs> Could be. I don't know. I don't know. I hope We hope not. We hope not. He could have ran another mile and a quarter. <laughs> well, he, the, he had some horse left at the finish because Leon had to, to make a hard right uh, at, at, at about the – with an eighth of a mile to go to get into the crevice, to get into the clear and take, take a shot at Zandon and epicenter. And it was almost like he was energized after that. And that's usually a move that'll take some legs out of the horse. And this thing was like shot out of a cannon. So we will see it. It's, it's, it's too bad if that's true. And no one wants yeah, to see it. Yeah, I know. I know. I shouldn't. It, was, it, would, it, it, it still takes nothing away from the ride of the jockey, the decision-making of the jockey, and, you know, the horse, you know, obviously improved regardless, considering how he had run before. And he had he he did. He was a horse with uh, that had shown in other in other races that he did some of his best running at the end of races, even though he didn't get to and in, the, in the final quarter. Yeah. 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 So, Dave, I think that's a that's a great recap on the Derby where we are waiting the drug test to see if uh, Rich Strike was indeed a super horse or. It was just one of those. It was just one of those uh, fluky races, you know. Medina Spirit got taken down. Things happen. Things are starting to happen at the Derby. Like you know, DQs, uh, sixty-five to one shot. Country House got put up in two thousand nineteen. Who did you have when Mind That Bird won? Yeah, I had Mind That Bird was fifty to one in two thousand and nine. Calvin Borrell, his Calvin Burrell, who was who was the best at riding the rail. Took that horse, that horse right up the rail to win. I had Pioneer of the Nile, and he was, looked like he was gonna win, but he was only like two to one. So I was more happy for mine that bird. And you had Zandon in this race, right? Yeah, I had a third place finisher, so it's not great. It's just not great. But that was that was pretty stunning, I have to say. And uh, I guess the I guess the moral of the story is I got to stop betting chalk, man. I got to stop betting chalk. Why would you ever bet chalk? That's no fun anyway. Is that what you always do? Yeah, but if you're sure, if you really, really like the horse's chances, like, I mean, there's been races where I have like five or six to one shots too. But Xanon to me was a standout in that race. And I thought Epicenter might have a little bit more. He drew better than Epicenter. And that's why I liked him a little bit better than Epicenter. By so the way, Tony Clark, my, my jockey buddy from uh, Parks, he loved Xanon. He, he, out of nowhere, he just said the horse, the other horse that I saw like that, who was just a warrior who was willing to do anything a jockey asked him to do was Zandon. I really like Zandon. So you weren't alone. You weren't yeah, alone. I know. It's all right. I'll win one of them. I'm going to win one of these races one of these days, Jones, and I'll be let you know it when I do. I'm sure you, I'm sure you will. Davo, have a good rest of the week, and you and I will be back to chat a little about some Penn State football, a little Will Levis talk, a little Pat Narduzzi talk, a little Rich Strike talk, a little NBA playoff talk. Who knows? I think I'm on foreign substances right now, the way I talk that fast. So we got to go. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. <laughs>